This is the Huddle Up Podcast with J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, and John Osher. Welcome to the new era. The Huddle Up Podcast starts right now. Welcome into the Huddle Up Podcast. Today is Wednesday, May 26th. J.P. Shadrick with Bucky Brooks and John Osher. Organized team activities here. Some special teams changes, and we'll discuss maybe the approach on special teams for Urban Meyer moving ahead. We'll go around the National Football League, and we have some social media questions this week. Bucky, uh, John, good to see you guys. Bucky, did you order your number 85 jersey yet? I have not ordered it yet. I'm trying to figure out what color I want to get it in because I know teal is the primary, but I'm trying to figure out if I look better in an 85 teal or black would kind of tickle my fancy, you know? Any suggestions? I might John? see it if they have one of those gold jerseys from way back. JP. I <laughs> oh, might see if they've got no, one of those. No, 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 no. We we need to leave the mustard jerseys in the Blake hey. Bortles era. We're we're. I was that. probably the only guy who liked those jerseys. I thought those were great. Oh man, like that reminded me of the hot mustard that I used to get from a certain fast food restaurant back in the day. <laughs> It was something, I'll say that. Uh, Remember to subscribe to the official Jaguars Podcast Network. It's on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us that five-star rating. Organized team activities are underway, and unlike some other teams in the NFL, namely the Cleveland Browns, the Jaguars have near-perfect attendance, at least in Phase 2 they did. Only a couple of guys were missing there. You know, the Browns don't have really anybody or just a few guys showing up for the offseason workouts here, Bucky. But it's a good sign the Jaguars have guys around. It makes sense. New regime, want to get in front of the coach. You know, they like what's going on in the building, it feels like. So everybody's here. That's good. Yeah, no, it is really good. But I would say this, the Jaguars will always have an advantage when it comes to being able to get near-perfect attendance this year and going forward is because it's – a nice place. It's a nice spot to be able to live. The weather's going to be nice. You don't have to deal with those elements. And so, look, Coach Meyer has alluded to it when it came to recruiting, where you talked about no state tax, weather, and all those things. A lot of times, the teams that have difficulty getting attendance where they want their guys to be around all year are the cold weather places. Jacksonville doesn't have to contend with that. And so, if the team continues to upgrade some of the things that Coach Myers talked about when it comes to sports performance, nutrition, all of that other stuff. It makes a lot of sense for guys to work out in the building where they're protected and they also can kind of get the best teaching and instruction from strength coaches, coaches, dietitians, nutritionists, and all of that. Yeah, JP, it's always felt, and I had a 10 year gap uh, when I covered the team, but in the 90s, attendance was always pretty good. It's been pretty good here. Urban clearly. As you said, the first year thing is, I think, a reason why they have near perfect attendance. You're always going to have that. Everything's new. And these veterans, even the guys who who understand they'll have roles in the league, they want to know what's going on. To Bucky's point, you know, comparatively speaking, the traffic's not bad here, too. It's it's not hard to get in and out of this stadium. (laughs) uh, I mean, and overall, that's just speaking to what he talked about. Urban said when he first got here, there's no reason that Jacksonville, Florida – should be a place where these guys don't want to be in the off season. That's a huge reason why he wants all the sports performance issues that he's talked about. JP, when we talked to guys last week, they all said the goal, and it sounds like it's being accomplished, is to have everything you possibly want here 
So there's no reason to be anywhere else. I'm with Bucky. I, I, I think it'll continue. Uh, I don't know if it'll be perfect once Urban's been here a year or two, because there's veterans who it doesn't have to be perfect for at that point. But overall, I think this will be the trend going forward as long as the league doesn't change the rules to where this is impossible. Who knows what's going on on that front? We've talked about this, John, on a podcast earlier this week on Jaguars Reporters, but Bucky's with us now. We'll ask a similar question. What answers do you want at the end of this month about the Jaguars team after OTAs and minicamp? What what do you want to find out in the next three, four weeks? I think the main thing you want to find out is just you want to get a sense of the culture and what Coach Meyer is trying to create down in Jacksonville. Like, what are the things that are big? What are the things that he's emphasizing when it comes to the outside looking in? When we get a chance to look at them practice, can we feel – a sense of urgency when they're moving from station to station and uh, executing plays and, and those things. I think the other things you want to see, because it's only limited amount of things that you can learn when they're not in pads, but from a personal standpoint, are they developing like fundamentals in those things? Can we see them get better over the course of four weeks? Can you see individual players begin to make strides when it comes to just their individual development are they showing up more when we have these team periods and competitive periods? Are we beginning to hear the same names come up when we talk about, hey, man, this guy had a good day. This guy had a good day. This guy looks like he's catching on and beginning to get it. And you just want to make sure that it appears the team is ready to make the next step in their development, which will take place in training camp. So I just kind of want to see what does it look like? Because we speculated, you know, without being – given the opportunity to look behind the curtain. But when we look behind the curtain, does it look like it's organized in a weld or machine that has the potential to be a very, very competitive product on the field? Yeah, JP, I, th- I think some of the things we want to find out, we won't find out. And I'm not trying to be you know, clever with that, but you want to find out if the receivers are as good as you maybe think they are. From a media standpoint, you want to look and see sort of who's going to make the team at receiver, how some of those down the roster, whatever you call it, what kind of role will Colin Johnson play? Uh, will Jamal Agnew have a role? Stuff like that. Maybe we'll see a little more toward that in OTAs. Maybe you'll see a little bit more on the flip side of where does Trey Herndon fit in? Where does Sidney Jones fit in with these, with the DB packages? Uh, realistically, when Urban is asked about that in the next few weeks, how much will he share about how those guys are developing? I don't know. But those are some of the battles you're looking for. I don't really have any doubt that it's going to look well-oiled. I think Urban can run practices. It appeared from what we saw last week, JP, that it's going to be fast. It's going to be you know, well-organized. And the elephant in the room, you know, I think by the end of these four weeks, I'd like to think that you can see if Tebow can move, if he can do the tight end things. Will we have an answer on that? I don't know, but it, I think you'll be able to get a little better of an idea. I don't, Bucky, does that interest you at all? Yeah, no, I, like the, the Tebow thing to me is, is funny because of the national conversation around Tim Tebow. I know he is a megastar when it comes to the amount of attention that he will draw, but I don't have any worries or doubts about him necessarily competing at tight end and making the team because I think the position is one where, I mean – Look, man, if you, you want Tim Tebow to make the team as tight end, you can ask him to do certain things that will enable him to be on the field and in action. We've seen guys come from – I said it, like, it's the only position where you can come from the couch to being able to play. Like, think about all the basketball players that have been able to come into the league without 
any football experience and have success. I mean, like it goes on and on and on. And I'm not talking about the Antonio Gates types. I'm talking about the Mo Alley Coxes that have been able to do it in Indianapolis. Darren Fells, who's bounced around the league and has been able to do it. Um, Logan Thomas moved from quarterback to being able to be a tight end who's a functional starter in Washington. I think the bigger thing will be how do they want to use Tim Tebow? Is he really a tight end or is he the H-back or the fullback or is he the move guy? Um, I believe because it is in the best interest of maybe Tim Tebow and Urban Meyer for Tim to make the team, they will create opportunities for him to be able to carve out a niche on this team and he'll make the team and find a way to be a contributor. It'll be a fascinating watch. We'll say that over the OTA <laughs> period uh, because, you know, it feels like w- without the contact, uh, this is the time to see if he can run. There's not a lot of that going on. So uh, we'll see if he can thrive there and then move on to training camp and throw some pads on and see what happens down the line. This is the Huddle Up podcast and single game tickets for 2021 are on sale now. Visit jaguars.com or call 904-633-2000. There's a team of representatives ready to help you get back in the bank in 2021. Some special teams news uh, last week. Special teams coordinator Brian Schneider stepping away from the team for personal reasons. The Jaguars put out an announcement saying they will fully support Schneider and his family during this time. And, I, you know, I must be honest, I, you know, the way it's set up in the building, I haven't crossed paths with, with Brian Schneider. So I, I never got a chance to meet him, but we wish him – the very best, obviously, with what's going on uh, with him and his family. But from the football perspective, I guess what now? Do you go hire a coordinator? Do you promote the assistant uh, special teams coordinator who is on your staff already? And um, Carlos Polk is his name, you know, or, or is it a combination? You know, is this, you know, I guess it could be worse if it's the, you know, right before the season or during the season, Bucky is never a good time, obviously. And uh, what are your thoughts initially on this one? Well, my thoughts initially will be how does Urban Meyer view the special teams coordinator position? Because if you go back and you study how he coached things in college, he always ran the special teams. That was his baby um, because it allowed him to connect with all three phases of the team. And it also is really a management position in terms of game management, clock management and those things. Now, if he promotes Carlos Polk and and names him the special teams coordinator, he still will be able to oversee it and play a heavy role in the special teams decisions and what goes on. My gut says that I would probably expect it to go more that route than to bring somebody in at this 11th hour. I think he probably will want to go and see what it looks like this year. And then if there are major issues and gaps and faux pas, that maybe cost the Jaguars games, then readdress the situation next year. I think right now, because you've already started to implement some of what Brian Schneider wanted to do, I don't know if you want to radically change it with such a short runway up to training camp. Yeah, JP, that's about as well said as I can imagine. I, I yeah. you know, I would expect to hear more uh, when Urban Meyer speaks, uh, and that'll obviously be a major question. I don't have a real feel for it. But what Bucky said about Urban's history with special teams and the reasoning for it, I don't know why that wouldn't work at this level for him to do that as well. It, it makes perfect sense without knowing if Schneider's stepping away is permanent 
it's just hard to know without knowing some of the nuances of that. It feels like that is a very plausible solution. I'm not sure why they wouldn't do that. And the other factor is, it's what, May? Do you bring in somebody at this point? If, if you're replacing, the hiring cycle's long since over. So you might have a more limited pool of candidates if you were going that way than if you waited until after this season to do it. I don't know if it'd be fair to bring in a guy on a one-year basis. So I think for a lot of reasons, that makes sense. Special teams conversation continues. And Bucky, you mentioned Urban's history with special teams. And, you know, in college, his approach was we're putting starting players on special teams a lot of times, or they had to earn their way to become an offensive or defensive starter by what he said at Ohio State. They had to play two different special teams units and start on those, quote unquote, start on a special teams unit to earn their way onto offense or defense. Zeke Elliott did it. Uh, the Boses did it at Ohio State. Here, I mean, it's younger players a lot of times or professional special teams players that are kind of your core guys. It's tough to go throw out a bunch of starters on offense or defense on special teams here. How does how do you think he'll approach uh, that uh, the, the staffing of the special teams units? Yeah, I think there's value to having starters on special teams. Um I think, you know, we, we always kind of dismiss special teams until it comes up and, and it, it creates a problem and you lose a game because of an issue. I think it's easier to put um, and the rules that you talk about in terms of requiring starters to play at least two special teams. That makes sense because here's what you normally would do. Your defense, your defensive starters would normally be on the punt team because it's a defensive play. You're trying to intersperse some of those defenders on your kickoff coverage units because it's such an important play or whatever. Offensively, same thing. Kickoff return, those things, you have some of your offensive starters that play those roles. Punt return can be a mix of your special teams, core guys, some of your defenders, and those guys. But I do believe there's value to having some of your starters on those units. And because the team is so young, look, man, I don't know if anybody gets a free pass, you know, maybe Miles Jack, you give a down off, or whatever, but everyone, in my estimation, is about in the same boat. And so they all have to go play and go find a way to make a contribution. So the better the skill level on the special teams, the better your special teams unit should be. And it is a very critical part of the game. Uh, JP, I have a question for the scout. Okay, go for it. Will, <laughs> will, uh, I'm not sure if the answer would be Gunner, you know, maybe the guy who's breaking the wedge. But where would Trevor fit in in terms of special teams? <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 hold Trevor out. Trevor, 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 Trevor gets a pass when it All comes right. to that. Like we, we won't have Trevor on there. Um, one I of don't even guys, want him but, holding, Bucky. I don't want any. No, just, I don't even want him holding. No, 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 I don't want no, no, those no. fingers anywhere no, near that kick. No, no, no. That might be for uh, Minshew Mania or uh, Hunter <laughs> that they can do that. But no, I would I would think Trevor wouldn't be on there. I do wonder. If Travis Etienne will have sure. a role, uh, maybe as a returner, either kick, which is normally the easiest way to get those guys on the field, or punt. But the new kickoff return rules make it where you don't get many returns. You don't really get a chance. A lot of them are, are touchbacks and the like. So I do wonder what that might look like and who are the guys that are going to occupy the gunner positions. Will we see Tyson Campbell at gunner? Will we see um, LaVisca Chenault? Because uh, normally your third and fourth receiver, your third and fourth corner, normally those guys are out there at those positions. So it'll be interesting to see 
the approach, but I do like what Urban had created. If you go back to Ohio State, where all those guys had to earn their way onto the starting units by performing and excelling on special teams, maybe you see some of that meritocracy kind of make his way to the NFL game. And don't forget about, you know, Jalen Camp, the, the late round draft pick this year, wide receiver, mm-hmm. big, strong guy, you know, fast, has all the measurables and everything, just did a lot of wide receiver time. That, that seems like one of the a perfect mm-hmm. fit for him. And then they got Agnew in free agency as a return guy, and, and here he is. That's yeah. a special teams pro right there. He is a special teams pro, and field position is such a huge part of the pro game, even different than the college game. And so – they made an investment. They got Agnew in free agency. Uh, you talk about some of the later round picks that can come. They have size and those things. The only thing is when you put too many young players, too many rookies out there, you can have some major gaps early in the year. So how do you sprinkle those guys? But then when we talked about it, the height, weight, speed component of all of the draftees makes it really um, conducive to put those guys on the team, Jordan Smith, I can see playing a role on special teams. You already mentioned Camp and some of the other guys. Yeah, some of those guys are going to occupy key roles on the special teams units. Well, JP, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, and I'm drawing a blank. Uh, the safety they signed from Philadelphia, special teams guy, Ford. And, yeah, Rudy Ford, yeah. Well, Ford. there you go. Uh, I think there's a reason that out of all the guys who opted out last year, remember, Laurenti McCray is the guy who's back. You know, a, a a longtime special teams guy. Agnew's a special teams guy. They certainly addressed that in free agency with the idea of, uh, you know, a Ford being a four core special teams player. That's certainly on Meyer's mind. And I think that those moves in free agency, Bucky may have talked about it at the time, those moves in free agency lined up with his past. It all sort of lines up to where, it wouldn't be surprising that uh, for what Bucky to talk about plays in, in the sense of Urban just going ahead and, and doing the special teams or having that as an option if nothing else works out. Yeah, John, I, I think that is an important point. Maybe, you know, because I, I sat there and talked about starters on special teams, but maybe Urban has looked at the pro game and the college game and understands the difference. And maybe he's gone to Balky and said, hey, we need a starting special teams unit. We need enough core guys to and that's usually what four starters. guys buck about four yeah i mean it, it can be it is can it be starting five five yeah five or six like hey these guys are going to play in all all of our main special teams units and what we'll do is we'll mix and match some of these other guys but these five to six they're going to be the nucleus of our, our our teams and we need to make sure that we kind of fill in around those guys to make sure that we always have a great unit because i he certainly understands the importance because he coached that in college. Now it might be, okay, how's the best way for us to manage it at the NFL level? Is it different than the way that I used to manage it in college? Another fascinating thing to watch moving ahead, and this is the Huddle Up Podcast. J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, John Osher. The Daily's Play schedule continues to grow. AEW Dynamite coming up May 28th, and then it's Double or Nothing, the pay-per-view for AEW May 30th. Tedeschi Trucks Fireside Live, pieces of the Tedeschi Trucks band Friday, June 11th and June 12th. That's a Saturday. And then recently announced 311 and Alice Cooper coming to Daly's Place. Tickets available at dailysplace.com. You know, let's thought about this. What was your first concert, Bucky? Are you a big concert guy? First concert. Oof, man. It might have been. Chris Cross, right, Bucky? 
No, crisscross when you were a kid. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't crisscross. I I think I went to a uh, a boys and men concert in college. That wow, might have been one of the there. first ones. Yeah, like wow, like yeah. They were the first a long time uh, ago. They sang the anthem at the first Jaguars game. You know, Bucky. That was a big deal I, in '95, the year before you got here. I, I I did not know that they sang the anthem there. Yeah, but I I, I remember seeing them in concert uh, very very early on. That might have been the first one. What was yours, John? Well, uh, it was not crisscross. Uh, <laughs> I did enjoy crisscross. It, it uh, they were the guys with the backwards shirts, right? Wasn't that's that right. Their mm-hmm. They make you jump, jump. Yeah, okay, yeah, it, that's right. It, yes. <laughs> that's right. They did make me jump, jump. I, I did some jumping. Oh my gosh! Um, actually, my first concert was uh, at John Denver in the Coliseum with my parents. Oh wow! My first sort of tough guy concert, or you know. <laughs> first real rock and roll because i uh john denver wasn't that tough i saw foreigner jp and bucky with uh the cars opening for them in uh the fall of 1978 and it was at the it was at the jacksonville coliseum and uh this young man's wide eyes were open with the just unbelievable amount of illegal drug use going on around this <laughs> this uh <laughs> this naive 10 year old uh, oh he was God. watching corner in the car and it, and it was uh back <laughs> oh in the day at the coliseum God. the hard rock shows were uh they were no place for a naive young seventh grader oh wow i love it mine was uh 1994 at the birmingham jefferson civic center zz Top. Z- oh, no, it was no ZZ Top. Oh, ZZ Top on wow. the antenna tour and the opening band was jackal so you know ZZ Top played most of the hits, and then they played a few songs off the new album at the time. And then uh, Jackal had this lumberjack song where they um, they used a a chainsaw as one of the instruments, and so he chainsawed a stool on stage and threw it into like ten pieces into the crowd. Yes, I remember that. Oh, wow! I don't know That's if that'll happen at Daly's place, but you know, you never know. Get wow. your tickets now at dailiesplace.com. Some notes around the league, and we'll get to some social questions coming up. Everybody wants out of everywhere, it feels like right now. Julio Jones wants out. You know, Deshaun Watson still wants out. He's got some issues otherwise. Aaron Rodgers, you know, says it's all about the people. He He's kind of wanting out. Who wants to stay anymore, Bucky? Where This is a trend. It is a trend, and I thought what was fascinating, Ron Wolf talking about the quarterbacks in particular being divas and how the quarterbacks now want to pick the coach. <laughs> they want to pick the plays, want to pick the, the players and all of that with none of the responsibility. And I think, you know, it's one of those deals where you just have to really be careful. I know we on the outside sometimes tend to anoint guys and probably give too much credit to one player for the plight of the team. But ultimately it, it is about the team and it's about building the best team, the team that can kind of, last and stand the test of time and what we're seeing is it appears that the nfl has become more selfish in nature than ever it has always been a system where you've had different tiers and the pecking order and the hierarchy but man like let some tell it everything is about the quarterback and the quarterback should have whatever he wants to make it work because he's the one that is solely responsible for the team winning it is a very interesting time in the national football league I struggle with this one because I don't want to be the old guy. 
uh, thing to get off my lawn. And, you <laughs> Too know, bad. And, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, well, well, when I say this, people accuse me, oh, oh, you're the team guy. You have to say that. But I don't think overall in this job that I veer toward team over player. And that's not what this is. Mm-hmm. And I'm asking you this as somebody who played, but you were also saw it from a scout and a team building perspective. And I could sort of put up with the third and fourth year guy, the Jalen Ramsey at a non quarterback position who hasn't gotten his first contract yet, pulling something like this more than I can a quarterback who has been signed to a long-term deal. And here's why there's a, there's an understanding when teams go to these quarterbacks with the mega deals and, and the agents get this, the team is saying, we are building our salary cap around you. You are the structure of our organization. And then when you turn around in two years and want to rechange that, you can't change the dynamics of the team. You've built around that. And the agents know when guys sign, what that means. So I guess that's why I lean a little more toward with Aaron Rodgers, with Deshaun Watson, with Russell Wilson, quarterbacks who want to leave. You know what? You got unbelievable guaranteed money up front. That's the trade-off for not having control of the roster in two years. And the reason you can't leave is if you leave the whole team shattered and you knew what you signed on for. Now get off my lawn, Bucky. You know, no, I'm not, John, like, Here's, here's an instance where we, we're definitely in alignment. Uh, I'm annoyed by the quarterback and the quarterback conversation. I'm annoyed by all the former quarterbacks that have turned TV broadcasters saying that's the way it should be done. Look, I've never understood this saying because I, I didn't understand. But they want to have their cake and eat it too, even though I would suggest like that's the whole point of having cake is to eat it. But these quarterbacks <laughs> want to have their cake and eat it too. So they want to get all of the money. They want to get top of the market prices and deals, which make it's really hard and tricky for the team to build around them. But then they want to complain when they feel like they don't have enough around them to allow them to be successful. And so I believe this, particularly in the case of Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, it is always about the money. It is little to do with the power and the say. And even though Aaron Rodgers can go on TV and have a dissertation about the people and, you know, it's about the people and the culture and all this other stuff, I will say this about Aaron Rodgers. It was really about the people. Are you sure you treated Mike McCarthy right when he was the coach and you were the quarterback and there were some issues that you guys may have had? Because if it was really about the people. You would have always been about the people and making sure that the lines of communication were open and everything was fair. But it's not that. It's always about the money. And I just wish that he wasn't passive aggressive and would just say it so we wouldn't have to dance around and try and interpret what he's saying in all these parables and riddles every time I see him on TV. Well, he wants to be communicated <laughs> with, but he doesn't necessarily want to communicate. Uh, <laughs> but here's the bottom line. I like most of the people that I work with at the Jaguars a lot, but I'd still rather have more money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, right. you know, that's all great. Like, I like my boss, PCAB. I like JP. But I'd still rather have a lot of money than hang out with those guys. Yeah. That's the reality I of mean, it. I mean, the money makes the money makes it a lot easier to do some of the stuff. And so I will say this, and I think it's important because eventually maybe we get to a point where the Jaguars have to kind of have this conversation with Trevor Lawrence and everything. I think the main thing that you want to have is regardless of whether the star player agrees with what is about to come down the pipe, you do have to pick up the phone and kind of let them know, hey, here's what we're about to do when it comes to 
uh, bringing in another quarterback or a weapon. We're thinking about this. They can offer the opinion, but we don't have to say, oh, we're going to acquiesce to your demands. But I'm letting you know ahead of time so you can't say, oh, I didn't know that was happening. Now, you can get over the hurt feelings that comes along with that sometimes, but you can make it a little bit of an inclusive process and just being honest and transparent. Hey, here's what we're doing. It's in the best interest of the team for us to at least explore this avenue. Um, See you in camp. Look, yep. <laughs> That's it because because here's the funny thing. The funny thing, John, all the leverage is always with the team, right? The, the poison pills that they put into the CBA this time around, um, players don't have any power to hold out or, or I'm going to retire. They have to fork over all that money. And so it sounds nice to say, oh, the player has the power and hey, Deshaun Watson, they should sit. Power to the people. It, it doesn't work like that. It's business. <laughs> it, it doesn't work like that. So it's, it sounds nice. It's, it's great for like hot takes. But at the end of the day in training camp, Aaron Rodgers will show up just like the most the rest of these guys because no one wants to write a big check. Boy, we got hot takes all over the place these days. Here's our <laughs> look around the NFL. Let's get to some social media questions, and we've got some interesting ones today. And I think this was the most interesting, so we'll start with it. At Jags for Life, James, is there any real possibility of a Justin Blackman return? And I'll be honest with you, I had to go do a little research on this. I guess Justin started a new Instagram page and Maurice Jones drew was uh, liking it and, and putting out a couple of things that he had put out on Instagram. And apparently it's really him. There was a couple of messages on there that he's trying to, he's cleaned things up and trying to get back on track and maybe he wants to come try to play ball, that kind of thing. I can handle one comeback and Tim Tebow. I mean, Justin Blackman. I mean, who's next Lazarus. I mean, what's left on the list <laughs> here, Bucky. I mean, I, I just, is it real? I mean, he's still on the reserve suspended by commissioner list for the Jaguars. The Jaguars do have his rights, but it has been a long, long, long time. And I just don't see it. I, I, I hate to even and I think that when was Justin Blackman drafted? Like what? Like 12, what year? 2012. Oh my gosh. And I they guess, were suspended but I in 13. Yeah. I mean, I can't sneeze at that because Tim Tebow's making a comeback. I think the one thing with Justin Blackman, that would be a harder that'd be a harder deal because there's not a built in relationship with any coach or management official when it comes to him. There's no one that's invested in him, at least with the Tim Tebow thing, you have a relationship and a, a bond built on some of the work that Tim Tebow did for Urban Meyer as a young player. Would you give him the benefit of the doubt? I don't think it works necessarily in this case in Blackman's favor. So if he does come back and makes it, I don't think it'd be in Jacksonville. It'll have to be with somewhere else. The reality, and I don't want to make too much light of it because, first of all, if today's news or whatever it is is indication that he's getting life right off the field, uh, then yeah. absolutely great for him. Because I, you know, I probably didn't know Justin as well as JP did. I think JP got to know him a little bit. I always liked the guy. You always rooted for him, and what an unbelievable talent he was. I think he was going to be big, 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 big time. So let's hope, but. I agree with you, JP. I mean, uh, uh, Bucky, as much as people want to criticize the whole uh, Tim Tebow thing, you can understand why Urban did it because, you know, he knows Tim Tebow and he believes that the only thing that's going to keep this from working is maybe Tim just can't do it anymore. But everything mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, if there's a, at all a chance 
he's going to work and squeeze everything out of it. So there is some benefit of the doubt that is warranted there. I just can't see it with just, I mean, it, it, it's been a long time, eight years. And uh, Tim was playing baseball. So, you know, he's keeping so, himself in some sort of shape and there's never any doubt about his conditioning. Obviously many questions would have to be answered on that front with Justin to even give it a start. And I, you know, yeah, who knows? I, <laughs> here's the thing. And again, I'm not laughing at him, just laughing at the enormity of the statement. When you say weirder things have happened, <laughs> I don't know that weirder things would have happened in this case. This would be unbelievable. And I just, I'd be very, 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 very surprised. Yeah. And you would have to be reinstated and go through a process to be reinstated by the commissioner and all that, right. even to even think about any of that before, you know, and then is he in shape and all that? So I don't think those hands go away. And no, I'm mm. telling you, Bucky, man, it was something uh, I've covered a lot of great wide receivers, Marvin Harrison, Jimmy Smith. Nobody had hands like this kid in terms of the strength, the ability to snatch balls out of the air. He looked like a different beast of playing that wide receiver position. I'm not saying he's better than Jimmy, better than Marvin. That's absurd, obviously, but Every receiver needed something to be special. Jimmy had that ability. You couldn't press him. Marvin had those feet. You could not cover him. Justin Blackman had hands and ability to go get the ball, unlike anything I've ever seen. Anything close, Bucky, was catchable for him. You know, what's funny is I remember watching him. I went to the Fiesta Bowl when he uh, – I want to say he lit up Stanford. He and Brandon Whedon, Whedon lit them up in the Fiesta Bowl. And I just remember making notes and comparing them to T.O. Just in terms of his size, his run-after catch ability. He was such a physical freak when it just came to just how strong he was. And so, look, it's a huge disappointment that he was never able to realize that potential down in Jacksonville. But you talk about a guy coming out of school who I thought was going to be a rock star. I thought he was going to be a superstar at the next level because he could go and get everything. And when you talk to the people – at Oklahoma State, because remember, when he came out, Des Bryant was in his prime. Yes. They said, oh, if you think Des Bryant is good, oh, this kid surpasses what Des Bryant is going to do in the National Football League. And so it's unfortunate that he uh, got sidetracked. But good for him for maybe getting his life back in order. I still think it would be a long road to climb back from if he attempts to make that comeback in Jacksonville. And, JP, one final thing. And obviously you witnessed it as well as I did. Um, Even considering everything he was going through, he had two or three games where he showed it that, and there was, was, a, was co- unbelievable yeah. on the field. Yeah. Uh, one of those was and, in Houston in 2012. That was that overtime game yeah. that he went well over 200 yards. Cecil Shorts had a big game. And then Andre yeah. Johnson had the game winner in overtime. He went for like 280 sure. in that game. It was incredible in Houston. But there were was flashes in, where you saw it. In St. Louis. In case of, oh, he got in the league and couldn't do it. He yeah. got in the league and was doing it. Yeah, in St. Louis, he he had a huge game like that too. I forget what if that was twelve, but I mean there were a couple of moments where it's like, oh my goodness, this is what yeah. I, this is as advertised. Yeah. Anyway, we've probably gone on about a long yeah. time. I I didn't think we were going to get that much out of this topic, but we, <laughs> we, we did. did pretty well. A couple uh, more quick questions, and we'll get out of here for the day. At Evanoff Joel, staying at wide receiver, do you view DJ Chark as a true number one, or are we still lacking a true number one receiver? John, I'll, I'll let you start with this. I kind of wonder, I don't know that you need a true number one. It's nice to have, but it gets talked about so much, and it's nice if you have an alpha or whatever. I think DJ, 
I guess I'm avoiding the question, but Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault and DJ Chark give you uh, three one A's potentially. Um, can DJ be, I guess they're asking if he can be Julio Jones, if, if he can be that level of guy where you pay that guy and then have everybody else sort of be B. I think DJ can get close to it. And I don't know if we have any idea if he is or not, because he hasn't played with a big time quarterback yet. So he sure looked, I'll tell you what I was always impressed with, with DJ Bucky was when he first started to come along in 2000, what year was it? JP 19 when he was, when he was really good. Yeah. What he could do that was different was when he crossed the middle of the field, he could snatch the ball on the run, make that high point catch without really slowing down and could turn that into a 25 yard play. And he had really good instincts and speed and ability to accelerate. That's a route. Not every receiver can run. And he could really turn that into an explosive play. So again, I don't want to say he's going to be Julio, but I think he can be good enough that I think a team can be good with him as your best receiver. Put it that way. Yeah, no, this is, man, this is a question that has so many layers to it, right? I would say from a philosophical standpoint, by definition, a number one receiver is a guy who commands double teams when they step onto the field. They not only command the double team, but they have the ability to beat double coverage. Um, You obviously have seen it, John, in a few different places. When you think about Jimmy Smith, Jimmy Smith was a number one receiver. Everyone in the stadium knew the ball is going to 82, but you can't do anything to stop it. And then if you go to your time in Indianapolis with Marvin Harrison, and even later Reggie Wayne, uh-huh. everybody knows that the ball is going to 88. And no matter what the strategy or tactic, you cannot diminish their impact on the game. So that's kind of how I define it. Now, you bring up another point, and I will say this. You do not need a number one receiver to win in the National Football League. But the better the quarterback, the lesser the need for a number one. If you have an A-plus quarterback, you can win with a bunch of Bs on the perimeter because the quarterback is going to put the ball in spots that allow those those B-level receivers to be able to win. When the quarterback is not an A, then you need better receivers to overcompensate for what the quarterback might be lacking. So Trevor Lawrence could very well come into the league, and if he lives up to what we think he might be, DJ Chark, LaVisca, and those other guys will look like ones because the quarterback is putting the ball in a spot each and every play that allows them to easily get the job done. And so some of it is quarterback, some of it is receiver. It's kind of like the chicken and the egg debate. We'll know more once we get a chance to see Trevor Lawrence year one, year two, to determine whether DJ Chark is a guy. I would say on surface, I think DJ Chark is more of a complimentary wide receiver, a number two with the potential to play like number one in the right environment and in the right scheme. So we'll see. Yeah. I thought he showed flashes of it in 19 at times. Mm-hmm. And the big thing he has to get past Bucky is, is uh, that ability to win and be productive, even when he's being doubled, that's the next step. And, you know, I don't know that he's had a chance to show that yet in the last couple of years. The most interesting thing anybody ever, ever told me about the number one receiver real early, real early in my time in Indy, I asked Tony Dungy about, the importance of Marvin Harrison being elite. And at the time he was elite. This was 2003, 2004 Mm -hmm. when he was as good as anybody. And he said, as important as the production is, 
what they gained from Marvin being a clear elite wide receiver was when they moved him to one side of the field, Marvin Harrison being on the field and, and the great wide receivers dictate the defense and what the defense yeah. has to do to you to a degree that that allowed Peyton to be so good at the line of scrimmage. When they sent Marvin over here, they knew they had to have two safeties with him. They knew they had to shade coverage. Mm -hmm. They knew in advance what the defense would have to do, and it dictated what else the offense could do. It made them that much more efficient. And I think that sometimes gets lost. You look at a a number one receiver's production and think, okay, he had 1,100 yards receiving. Well, in Indy when I was there, what enabled that offense to be so good was the defenses were so scared of what Marvin had to do or could do that they had to cover them a certain way, and that helped Peyton immeasurably for a while. Yeah, it's, it's funny how that conversation is, right, because a lot of times if we go and we do, like, scorebook scouting or box score scouting, we look at the numbers and, and say, hey, this guy's the number one because they have that much production. But really it's what you say. How do they dictate the terms to the defense? You know, when, when you think about, like, Marvin, and I think Marvin is the easy example because I think everyone understands he was a Hall of Fame caliber player. But Marvin opens it up for everybody else to do work. But then the other way to look at it is those guys are so good that if you give them a lottery ticket, meaning you give them one-on-one coverage, they cash the lottery ticket every time. So if you line up in a critical situation and say, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to take our chances and we're going to go one-on-one, and they make you pay for playing one-on-one coverage and so that's how it should be and I think the big thing for DJ we talk about a great 2019 season where he showed flashes of being able to do it and the quarterback playing 20 was not great but what you would like to see is okay now that you're a known commodity can you now take it up a notch and continue to produce when everyone knows you it's one thing to put up big production when no one knows and they're uncertain like hey who's that guy it's another thing when they come into the game knowing we got to stop him and he still gets gets loose. That's when you're like, oh, yeah, that's the number one receiver all day. And, JP, final thing. I think yeah. fans listening to this will automatically say, well, DJ didn't do that. I don't think he's done it yet, but I think I saw things that made me think or that made uh, me think that he's capable of doing that. And I think that's going to be a fascinating thing to watch for DJ Tark this year. Just because he hasn't really shown that yet, doesn't mean it's not there. There's potential in this guy, the size, speed. The book is not closed yet on him, on where he ranks and what he is. He hasn't, I don't think he's come close to reaching his potential. John, the other part of it, it also goes to the play calling and play designer, right? So it's one thing to be a number one receiver. It's another thing to have a play designer who understands, okay, all the coverage is tilted his way. How can I create opportunities for him to get loose? Can I put him in motion? Can I draw up some exotics that allow him to find a way to get some space to get loose? The better the play caller, the better the chances of the number one receiver being dominant each and every week because we all need help. Can the play caller help the number one receiver find a way to have a handful of one-on-one matchups each game? which allows him to put his impact on the game. There you have it. Our thanks for the social media questions this week. Some uh, really nice answers to go along with it as well. And the Huddle Up podcast. Hey, uh, uh, Bucky, what you got this week? What's coming up? Man, you know, just trying to survey the landscape and see what's going on. But 
JP, we got trying to figure out, hey, it's, it's, it's now and never for several players in the league. Like we always talk about guys that we're waiting to pop and are they ever going to be what we think? So, for instance, a guy like Taven Bryant, is he ever going to be what we think mm-hmm. or not? So mm-hmm. just trying to study some of those guys around the league. Like who are the guys that it happens now or it's never going to happen? That's what Elvis used to say, John. It's now or never. <laughs> it's now or never. It's now or never. Uh, Chris Cross said that once, too. They, they, they had their shirts on back. Um, uh, JPS for you and I, looking forward to OTAs. There it comes. It's Thursday. Yeah. We'll be out there. And uh, I think fans listening, that's tomorrow. And uh, big-time coverage on Jaguars.com and our social media channels. Yes. <laughs> Great stuff, as always. That's John Osier. Bucky, we'll talk to you again next week. Bucky Brooks, NFL media analyst. And for everyone, I'm J.P. Shadrick. Remember to subscribe to the official Jaguars Podcast Network on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us that five-star rating. We'll catch you next time on the Huddle Up Podcast.